Pope St. John Paul II said that discovering Christ always again and always more fully is the most wonderful adventure of our life. Blazing the Trail is a weekly conversation where we talk about this adventure with courage and hope while sharing stories about what the Holy Spirit is doing in Western Oregon and beyond. And welcome back to Blazing the Trail here on Mater Day Radio. I'm your host, Miriam Marston. It's great to have you along for another episode as we continue to reflect together on the call to discipleship and mission. My guest this week, Susan Tracy, shares with us how she was led to the saving and transforming love of God through a few fairly unconventional channels, but she did ultimately find her way home to the church. And it's really interesting to hear how the liturgical life of the church played a key evangelizing role in Susan's walk of faith. And I think that's a good thing to keep in mind, that the Holy Mass isn't just a destination for those who have already been thoroughly evangelized and catechized, but rather the Mass itself has an evangelizing power, drawing us deeper into the mystery of Christ's passion, death, and resurrection. And we don't come just to hear and to listen and observe. Catholics are able to consume the very body of Christ and be strengthened by this magnificent communion with God. And this was something Susan discovered, that Christ could really dwell within us. On this theme of the Eucharist, um, in his apostolic exhortation, Sacramentum Caritatis, Pope Benedict XVI writes, In the Eucharist, the Son of God comes to meet us and desires to become one with us. Receiving the Eucharist means adoring Him whom we receive. Only in this way do we become one with Him and are given, as it were, a foretaste of the beauty of the heavenly liturgy. The act of adoration outside Mass prolongs and intensifies all that takes place during the liturgical celebration itself. And it is precisely this personal encounter with the Lord that then strengthens the social mission contained in the Eucharist which seeks to break down not only the walls that separate the Lord and ourselves, but also and especially the walls that separate us from one another. Pope Benedict continues, The love that we celebrate in the sacrament is not something we can keep to ourselves. By its very nature, it demands to be shared with all. What the world needs is God's love. It needs to encounter Christ and to believe in Him. The Eucharist is thus the source and summit not only of the Church's life, but also of her mission. An authentically Eucharistic Church is a missionary Church. We, too, must be able to tell our brothers and sisters with conviction, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us. Truly, nothing is more beautiful than to know Christ and to make Him known to others. Through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary, may the Holy Spirit kindle within us the same ardor experienced by the disciples on the way to Emmaus, and renew our Eucharistic wonder through the splendor and beauty radiating from the liturgical rite, the efficacious sign of the infinite beauty of the holy mystery of God. Those disciples arose and returned in haste to Jerusalem in order to share their joy with their brothers and sisters in the faith. True joy is found in recognizing that the Lord is still with us, our faithful companion along the way. The Eucharist makes us discover that Christ, risen from the dead, is our contemporary in the mystery of the Church, His body. Of this mystery of love, we have become witnesses. Let us encourage one another to walk joyfully, our hearts filled with wonder, towards our encounter with the Holy Eucharist. 
so that we may experience and proclaim to others the truth of the words with which Jesus took leave of his disciples. Lo, I am with you always until the end of the world. Again, that was Pope Benedict XVI, and I will let Susan take it from here and stay tuned for a closing reflection on the other side of our interview. I'm delighted to be joined today by Susan Tracy, who is Professor Emerita of Music at Ave Maria University. Her area of interest uh, in teaching has been music history with a special emphasis on sacred music. Susan, it's great to have you on the show. How are you today? Oh, I'm just fine, Miriam. It's great to be here. Awesome. Well, you know, let's let's dive in, Susan. You know, I'd love for you to share with us how Christ was shared with you and how you made your way into the church and how the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. has led you to where you are today. So I am a convert and um, I was baptized at age five in the Presbyterian Church. Mm-hmm. But towards the end of first grade, our family moved back to our original hometown, which is only the next town over in New Jersey. Uh, mm-hmm. suburban New Jersey outside of New York. And um, we started going to uh, Grace Episcopal Church. Mm-hmm. So I was just bowled over by the beauty of the liturgy as a little first grader. <laughs> yeah. And I loved it. So I, you know, I cousins who were Catholic and they went to Catholic school. So I always thought it was kind of cool that they got to wear those uniforms and go to Catholic school. And plus, I, I knew that my father had grown up Catholic, but had mm. left the church. So um, uh, so then to skip over, I would say then, uh, after my first year of college, I stopped going to church. Mm. And, um, and I was really, I was never an atheist, but mm. I thought, well, we know so much more now. And And, you know, I don't, it's really, you're a weakling if you feel, if you need to lean on God or if you need to lean on Christ. Somehow I, I came up with that. And so for 11 years, I was really away from God, but he was not away from me. And there were times when the Lord showed himself to me and I didn't get it at first, but then eventually uh, I spent among the many places I've lived, I spent a few years living in London, England, mm-hmm. and uh, God works in mysterious ways. So you're going to find this kind of unusual. But <laughs> when, I, when I was in London, a friend and I, who was also American, we started going to an Edgar Casey study group. And I don't know if you've ever heard of Edgar Casey. No, I haven't. He was a psychic, and oh, he. Okay. He grew up Protestant in Kentucky, I believe, and he used to go into these trances. And mm-hmm. so at first, at first he would would prescribe, quote-unquote, um, specific things for, to heal people physically. Yeah. But then in sometime in the 1920s, he died in 1944, a man started asking him about the past. And so he came up with all these uh, things that he you know, in his trances, yeah. uh, things about Jesus and Mary, etc. cetera. Um, yeah. And uh, so I used to go, my friend and I started going to this study group, which was led by an American couple in London. Mm-hmm. The husband was a member of the diplomatic corps. Mm-hmm. And we, at our meetings, we would pray the Lord's Prayer and the 
the 23rd Psalm, and we had a book of what was what they called readings. And these were mm-hmm. things that people took down, dictated, when Edgar Casey was in uh, in his trances. And so yeah. large portions of them were right from the Bible. And the par- parts that uh, uh, appealed to me uh, were... There was one um, short passage from Deuteronomy uh, 30, I think, or 32, where Moses talks about the word. Do not think that you have to go to the heavens or to the depths of the sea, but the word is very near you. And so St. Paul takes that same passage and uses it in Romans 10, where he Mm. talks about the word of faith. And he says basically the same thing as Moses. He says, but the word of faith, it's very near to you. It's in your heart. And um, so that kind of uh, got me thinking that maybe Jesus, God, is really real in this day and age, and he really cares about me. But I didn't really do anything with it at that point. Then there were other passages that were from uh, the Last Supper narratives in the Gospel of St. John. And those were very um, moving, too, especially when our Lord says, Father, may they be one as we yeah. are one, as I am you and you are in me, etc. So mm-hmm. I thought, wow, you know, God can dwell in us. Uh, I know, I'm sure I was taught that, but I kind of forgot it. Yeah. So also, we would do group meditation, and they always would encourage us to do individual meditation. But I was always too lazy to do it. So um, so we would use what they called an affirmation. It could be something as short as, be still and know that I am God, yeah. from Psalm 30, 46 um, in the Protestant Bible. Or um, uh, there was one that was longer. So then, moving ahead, I moved back to the United States, and I decided to move to Texas uh, to now what is now the University of North Texas, to study singing with a voice teacher I had met. It was odd. It was so amazing. On the plane uh, going to Dallas, I there was I was thinking to this very nice young man who turned out to be a youth minister at his Methodist church. Hmm. So he says, you know, my wife and I have a spare room. Would you like to stay overnight? Because we were going to arrive at like 1 a.m. in the morning. So I slept oh, there. Wow. And the next day, two young men from his youth group drove me out to Denton, Texas. Oh, wow. And uh, <laughs> that God is so good. And so then, uh, this is an odd, uh, let's see. So then... Um, I noticed when I got to town, to Denton, I noticed a poster, Transcendental Meditation, mm-hmm. Student Prices. So here I am. I'm going to try out something else that is a counterfeit of Christianity, like Edgar Casey was definitely a counterfeit. Yeah. And um, so, but, and I thought to myself, well, you know, I said, if I haven't had the self-discipline to do the individual Edgar Casey meditation, will I have the self-discipline to do it, do the TM. So right. I decided to try the individual Casey meditation. And so for my affirmation, I chose a longer affirmation, which is this one. Not my will, but thine, O Lord, be done in me and through me. Uh, let me ever be a channel of blessings to all I meet in every way. Let my going out and my coming in be in accord with what thou would have me do. And as the call comes, hear of my Lord, send me, use me. 
So I sat there, uh, and after maybe two days of doing that, I was, and so you say that, and then you meditate on it. Okay. And so maybe the second or the third day, I was filled with the most beautiful, loving presence. Wow. And being brought up Episcopalian, of course, I didn't want to trust my emotions, but I knew this was not my emotion. Hmm. And I knew that I had met God, and I knew that he loved me, as if I were the only person in the world. And then I also realized that uh, he loves everybody else the same way. And then the most important thing was back in high school, I told you I went to Grace Church. Yeah. And so back in those days, I had looked up the word grace in the dictionary, and it said God's love towards us, un- which, which is undeserved. And I remember at the time rankling and thinking, well, how could I not deserve God's grace? I've never killed anyone or still yeah. robbed a bank or anything yeah. but I, I was my heart was so hard and so I, when yeah. this happened I instantly really realized that I had experienced grace and I understood what grace was and I knew that I didn't deserve it so that was a really uh, important moment for me wow. and uh, so uh, I had already lived let's see I had you know since I was um taking voice lessons, I'd gotten a, mm. a church job as a section leader and soloist at a Presbyterian church, which okay. is a very nice church. But after a while, I felt that I needed to go back to the Episcopal church because mm. the Presbyterians only had their Holy Communion four times a year. Yeah. So I went to an Episcopal church there, which was a high church, okay. which I had always thought would be enough for me. Because I'd already, actually, I'd, I had always been attracted to the Catholic church, even from childhood. I forgot to tell uh, you. Yeah. I remember as a little girl thinking, the Catholic church is the church that Jesus started. Huh. And um, so, but I thought, but then I was taught all these other things in Sunday school, which made me think, well, you know, I should just go to a high Episcopal church. So anyway, I uh, this was about the time that uh, I, I'd been away from church for so long, so they had changed yeah. the Book of Common Prayer, plus okay. they had started um, allowing women priests, and that mm-hmm. really bothered me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, But I loved the liturgy there. I also started attending... I went to Episcopal Curcio, which I was really benefited from that. And in the Diocese mm-hmm. of Dallas and Fort Worth, the most of the Episcopal churches are high Anglican, Anglo-Catholic, because okay. of the original missionary bishop who evangelized that area in the 19th century. So, so at that Curcio, even though Episcopalians don't truly believe in the real presence they teach that they do well maybe some of them really do but anyway we were we were taught that and and so we made visits and there uh visiting jesus and the blessed sacrament i really experienced him in a very strong way in his love so uh so that was a blessing to me and then also my episcopal church was directly across the street from a catholic church okay and so there was a a charismatic prayer group started up and so i joined that now you have to realize that i'm a classically trained musician and although i had already played the guitar and strummed the guitar and sung folk music for many years Mm. i didn't like it it, in in liturgical settings Mm. but i did like it at the prayer meeting so uh so yeah. I did, I, I really loved the prayer group and 
everybody loved Jesus so much, and it was yeah. great to be able to share with them and be in such a nice, close-knit community. So, still in Texas, I happened to read uh, St. John Henry Newman's book, The yeah. um, Apologia Pro Vita Sua, which I don't know if you've read that, but it's the story of his own Mm-hmm. He's, it was written as an apology for those who attacked him after he became a Catholic. Wow. And he starts out by telling about his first conversion as a 16-year-old evangelical Anglican to a yeah. personal relationship with Jesus. And then he discusses how, as a young Anglican clergyman, he got involved in the Oxford movement, mm-hmm. which was seeking for the Catholic roots of the Anglican Church and to stem the tide against liberalism in England at that time. So he and his cohorts um, read a lot of the Church Fathers. And Mm. so after reading the Church Fathers, he realized that that the Church of England was not that church that they wrote about. It was the Catholic Church that they were writing about. And so the Anglican Church could not really be considered a Catholic Church. So that was when he decided to 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 uh, go to Rome, and so that's yeah. what he did. So that really was one of the things that really convinced me right. uh, to become Catholic. But it was still a few more years, and yeah. uh, also I was hesitant, hesitant because I the the one Catholic church whose liturgies I knew that was across the street from my church yeah. had horrible liturgies and uh, and music as well. Uh, really. Uh, I, I mean, I shouldn't. Be, <laughs> I don't want to insult anyone, but it just wasn't worthy. It was like pop music uh, mm-hmm. and mess. So mm-hmm. I thought, ah. So I, I postponed becoming Catholic, but mm-hmm. eventually I realized that was not a good reason not to become Catholic. <laughs> so, yeah. so I so I did it, and uh, so I. Um, so it was a couple years later, and I became yeah. Catholic. That was when I had a teaching job at a small Lutheran college mm-hmm. in Iowa. And uh, so I went through RCIA there, and uh, oh. I've never regretted it. I absolutely oh, love being Catholic. And then just maybe a couple years after I became Catholic, I learned about the Church Music Association of America, CMAA. So, yeah, Archbishop Sample knows us very well. But uh, it's the oldest uh, Catholic Church Music Association, having started in about 1876. And um, so I went to the Summer Music Colloquium, which started in 1991. So this would have been 94. Okay, when you became a Catholic. What what year did you become a Catholic? 1990. 1990. So I had um, April 14th, 1990. So uh, so I went on my first colloquium in 1994. And it was very, I loved it. It was at Christendom College. And we got to sing Gregorian chant and beautiful sacred polyphony. And we had, uh, and there was, the people were so nice. And there were many church musicians who were at parishes where that music, which is requested by the documents of Vatican II, was yeah. was used, and so so I I kept going to that, and I still go to it. Yeah. <laughs> so I've learned so much by by uh, doing that, and uh, it's really been a real blessing to me. So that I guess that's kind of uh, 
gives you sort of the short story of my conversion. <laughs> oh, I, I always faith. I always know there's a longer story. So it's it's great to kind of hit the milestone moments in, in a person's story. So for, <laughs> for, for those just tuning in, I'm I'm speaking with uh Susan Tracy. And you know, you mentioned um the your introduction really to a deeper Eucharistic devotion. And I just wanted to ask uh, in right. the in the years that have sort of passed since you became a Catholic, how have you found that devotion deepening? What has helped in your own uh, gratitude and understanding of the Eucharist, Susan? Okay, well, okay, several things. Um, first of all, just learning about Eucharistic adoration and doing it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and um, having a regular time of adoration. Okay. And also learning about the Mass and studying the Mass and, and of course, knowing the music for the Mass. And yeah. uh, also really learning the, uh, the texts and chants of the propers of the Mass. Yeah. And, um, and how they can enrich, enrich our spiritual life and draw us towards Jesus in the Eucharist. Also, going to... When I... When I taught at Steubenville, um, I used to, since I was a faculty member there, I could go to all the summer conferences for free. Yeah, that's <laughs> great. So, right. So I really enjoyed the Eucharistic processions there. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and, and then I, I, when I was there, I had my adoration at two different locations. First of all, on the campus at the Portiuncula chapel mm-hmm. there, yeah. a rec- yeah. the replica of St. Francis's yeah. Portiuncula, which was so beautiful, but also downtown in Steubenville at St. Peter's, okay. which had a really beautiful little Eucharistic chapel. So that was really yeah. a blessing. And then yes. at, at Ave Maria University, they had a, also had a dedicated adoration chapel that was um, built onto the side of the library. Okay. And so I, I had regular Eucharistic adoration there Beautiful. as well. Yeah. yeah. You know, for, for those who struggle with the beautiful truth of the real presence, what might you tell them? Uh, what, what might you say like that mm. just to, to help uh, invite them and convince them that Jesus is truly there? What might you share with someone about the real presence? Mm-hmm. Okay, first of all, I would go to a couple of places in the New Testament. Okay. Uh, First of all, the Gospel of St. John. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, that's really where I would go to. Chapter, uh, I think it's uh, uh, chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine. Yeah. And unless you are with me, you you know, in other words, stay uh, connected to the vine, to the vine. you yeah. are the. I am the vine. You are the branches. And yeah. then in the sixth chapter, where he talks about himself as being the yeah. living bread, I am the bread come down from heaven. I, I am the, I am the bread of life. He who eats me, and drinks of me will have light. Will will have life, and he who does not will have no life within him. I, you know, it's just and just thinking about when I say those passages to myself, yeah. I feel him in myself, in my inner self. I feel him there encouraging me and loving me. And the word of God is so uh, so strong. 
And yeah. it says in, in Isaiah chapter 55 that um, God sends forth his word and does yeah. not come back to him empty. And, yeah. uh, and so anytime you say or sing the word of God, you are, um, you are sending out his word. And I, I, I like to think of Gregorian chant as being a pre-evangelistic um, mm. means because people don't realize that 98% of the texts of the Gregorian chant propers are from the Bible. Oh, mostly from the Psalms. And so mm-hmm. when they, you know, you hear a lot of people say, oh, I love Shanna. It's so relaxing. Yeah. It's, you know, I listen to it for mood music, but actually it's preaching the gospel to them. They may not oh, know it, but because God sends his word out to them, they, uh, they're receiving it. So, oh. and I, I get to hear those chants at, you know, every Sunday now. I mean, I used to direct the school at Franciscan and at Ave Maria, but now since I'm retired, at least for the next few years, I'm just <laughs> being an ordinary parishioner. And so I get to hear those beautiful um, proper chants every Sunday, and I get to sing the Kyrie, the Gloria, the Credo, the Sanctus, and the Angus Day, and hymns. We have hymns in English yeah, yeah. Uh, every Sunday at the beginning and the end. So, uh, so I think that anything that there are so many ways that the Lord uh, introduces His Word to people yeah. that reaches into them and eventually draws them to Him. So that's a lovely note to end on, Susan. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, I pray that God continue to bless you and your teaching and your writing and uh, and you mentioned just your time being an ordinary parishioner too. I hope that's a blessed time. <laughs> Thanks, Miriam. Thank you so much, Susan. God bless you. Oh, you too. God bless. Susan reflected on those moments when she realized she had received God's grace and it changed everything. And grace is one of those words that we might hear a lot and wonder, okay, well, what what actually is it? The Catholic Catechism tells us that grace is favor, the free and undeserved help that God gives us to respond to His call to become children of God. It is a participation in the life of God. It introduces us into the intimacy of Trinitarian life. I mean, can we just stop there for a moment? Grace is a participation in the life of God. That is an astounding statement. It might explain why the song Amazing Grace might possibly be one of the most famous songs of all time, because grace really is amazing. The Catechism goes on to say that grace also includes the gifts that the Spirit grants us to associate us with His work, to enable us to collaborate in the salvation of others and in the growth of the body of Christ, the Church. So, my friends, the connection between grace and evangelization is clear. In fact, we can't advance in this collaboration with the Holy Spirit without grace. So let us pray for an outpouring of grace in our own lives and in our families, communities, and the church. Thanks so much for tuning in. Again, my name is Miriam Marston, and I hope you'll join me next week as we continue to faithfully and gracefully blaze a trail in Western Oregon and beyond. Until then, stay well and stay close to Christ. God bless you all. You've been listening to Blazing the Trail, produced through the studios of the Archdiocese of Portland. Join us in our mission to share the good news of Jesus Christ across Western Oregon by visiting archdpdx.org.